Remaking Manufacturing, Your Role in the Circular Economy. This interview with Matt Card was recorded as part of the Grow with Purpose event. Matt Card is president and founder of Rethink Recycling Co-op, a new collaboration of community members and organizations who have come together with the aim of driving national change in the waste and sustainability sectors, including providing education and recycled plastic materials for sustainable manufacturing. Matt also runs his own manufacturing business, Akoye, is that how I say it? Correct. Uh, which creates products such as bench tops out of such recycled uh, materials. So thanks for joining us, Matt. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So can you start us off by telling us a little about the Rethink Recycling Co-op and how it works? Yep, absolutely. Um, well, basically, we are a grassroots uh, co-op. We've gone a little bit old school. We uh, just the general idea of bringing a whole heap of small businesses, medium businesses together that uh, are struggling in their own areas. They're struggling to get a foothold. They're struggling to uh, build their own networks. Um, they're struggling to get the support and the information they need. Um, and we saw that uh, there's a lot of businesses out there, including ourselves, who are really struggling uh, to really get a foothold in the industry and try and drive their own brands and build them up. Um, so, you know, after a few conversations uh, locally, we, we discovered that there was plenty of people in the same boat. Uh, so we sat down and brainstormed everything we were trying to achieve and what we were trying to do. And, um, yeah, we decided to form a cooperative, um, which is a, a great way to, uh, to enterprise and network together because it's, um, a, as a cooperative, it creates, uh, keeps everything to uh, a, single, a single vote within the, uh, within the cooperative itself. So everyone pretty much stands uh, on a level playing field. No one can actually get in and take over. No one can push any agendas. No one can take any greater control of everything. So, so it really opens up um, the ability for us to all communicate on, you know, on a standard level and, and work together. You know, which is um, it's basically about bringing the community together and creating that group of, uh, you know, of people and that platform for us all to, to network off of. So that's, that's the idea behind um, creating the, uh, the co cooperative. Um, we've got about uh, 22 businesses um, and members around uh, Melbourne that have come together in the last uh, few months to um, really kick this off um, and, and, and push, push it through. And um, we've all got a very similar agenda and we're all working towards um, creating sustainable lifestyles, creating sustainable products um, and, and really focusing on um, targeting some big issues we've currently got in the community uh, in, in specifically plastic waste. Uh, we all know it's a pretty major issue at the moment. It's very topical. Um, the government, state and federal are really working hard to try and, uh, you know, try and get on top of it and um, hitting lots of barriers. Uh, as are lots of small businesses, which is again why we've put our heads together to try and you know grow this network between ourselves, so we can all work towards that goal and really push our agenda without actually stepping on each other's toes at the same time. Uh, it's, it's a market that needs to see a whole heap of change, and I think uh, the best way we're going to achieve that is working together uh, and not working and you know, opposing each other, driving similar agendas. So that's, um, I guess, the idea of the cooperative and why we formed it. Uh, Rethink itself, um, we've, teamed, we've teamed up with uh, Lids for Kids, uh, which is one of our major partners, um, who I'm sure most people are familiar with their network. They're a very, uh, they are now a registered charity, um, which is a, a great move forward for those guys. Uh, they've got a member base of over 30, 37,000 uh, lid collectors uh, nationally, which is, uh, which is awesome. 
Um, and they're just doing amazing things uh, for the community and amazing things for a real problem, plastic within our community. Uh, it's a plastic that gets struggled to get picked up through our current recycling systems. Most uh, of the facilities uh, won't take them. And if they do take them, typically end up just sending them off to landfill because they're too much of a problem to, uh, to process. So where Lids for Kids were sending those lids to um, initially uh, ended up coming to a close. It was a company called Envision um, and they were uh, 3D printing um, uh, prosthetic limbs uh, for kids, which was a fantastic initiative. Um, it did some really good stuff. It got a lot of backing and a lot of following. Um, sadly, the limbs themselves were just not quite good enough um, to uh, carry out their jobs. So there was a few issues uh, along with the compatibility, along with their functionality um, and the clients. And I eventually got to the point, I was like, look, they're not quite meeting, uh, meeting our requirements. We're going to have to step away from it. So which effectively was 100% of what Lids for Kids Lids uh, were going towards. Um, so after sitting down and seeing this problem uh, evolve for these guys, we got in contact uh, with Tim Miller, who is the, uh, the founder of the charity, and um, presented to him our um, cooperative idea and where we were planning and hoping to, uh, to take this on a national scale. And uh, look, he was, he was all over it. He was really excited about it. I think he's actually got more energy uh, than I had, and I was the one telling him about it. Um, which is uh, you know, a relationship that's growing fantastic, uh, fantastic strengths and in leaps and bounds as we, um, we develop the processes we're working towards. And basically we've now become um, the main supplier of those guys for their lids. And um, yeah, we plan to build uh, a national network um, in conjunction with those guys of uh, micro-sized uh, recycling facilities which will have uh, you know, many, many positive benefits within the community. Um, obviously it's re massive reduction in um, carbon footprint from the logistics of transporting plastic all over the place to get uh, recycled, getting it from the, uh, the end consumer back into um, the manufacturing facilities. Again, you know, reducing all those logistics uh, and stuff around it. Um, and the ability to you know, collect locally, manufacture locally, and then resell those um, products locally, uh, targeting small businesses um, within uh, council areas and uh, keeping that, close that loop, if you like, keeping that plastic in its cycle and, and um, servicing the uh, neighbourhood uh, that it's actually set up in. So it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's lots of pluses in there, solving plastic problems. Um, and we're working with a lot of disadvantaged um, people. We're working with a lot of the, the migrant and refugee communities as well to try and help them fill a few holes uh, in their sectors. And uh, so this is a program we're rolling out. Um, basically, it's in, uh, it's in motion now. Uh, we've got a couple of um, councils around Melbourne are uh, extremely interested and we're in conversations around setting up their um, facilities within their municipalities. Um, we're in the process of setting up our flagship uh, recycling plant at the moment here in Springvale, and that's coming along, um, well, it's moving smoothly. I uh, haven't hit too many barriers so far. We're just finalising the last of the few, uh, few ideals, and uh, that will help, help us to um, springboard and leapfrog that into the rest of the community. Uh, which is, you know, it's been a great experience so far for us to, to get involved with these guys. We've got a couple of big, um, a couple of other big partners that have come on board that we can't quite announce yet uh, to help um, drive this initiative for us to get through. And that's, um, that's sort of one of our major uh, national, uh, I guess, rollouts uh, to get that sort of um, problem solving space um, and uh, in initiative uh, up and rolling. And um, on top of that, or off the back of that, um, we plan to also um, implement and champion pushing uh, sustainability, uh, and in particular plastic recycling capabilities into the national schooling system. 
And we're looking at this um, as a case of what most schools we all grew up, there was always, you know, there's always a textiles department, there was always a woodworking department, there was always a ceramics department, you know, we had, we had the engineer, mechanical department. So, you know, we got to asking the question is like, well, why, why don't we have a plastic you know, uh, department. Why aren't we not pushing uh, plastic as uh, a resource and a commodity? Uh, why do we just look at it as waste and something that's to be used and, and, and thrown away and not thought about? So we've um, teamed up with a couple of teachers associations at the moment. Again, I can't quite uh, announce those partnerships because there's still lots of details we're working out. Um, but yeah, we're, we're currently deep, uh, head deep into developing um, a school program that uh, will be pushed on a mobile basis um, as well as a, a permanent fixture uh, basis within schools driving innovation um, and trying to get, uh, trying to change attitudes and get kids, uh, kids really heavily involved in, in what we can do with plastic. It's a resource that has pretty much an infinite lifespan. Um, if, uh, if we throw it away, it becomes an issue. If we reuse it, um, it's an amazing product. And if we reuse it, reuse it correctly, we can make a resource that is going to last a long time. Um, and uh, Reusing plastic is about an 80% reduction in cost production to virgin plastic. So there's lots and lots of wins um, with reusing plastic, which is why we want to try and drive the education and the attitude and change consumering, uh, consumerism along the lines of um, you know, what we can do with plastic. It's, like I said, it's an infinite resource. It's something we can, uh, we can use within our uh, society for you know, a long time. And we don't actually even need to make any more plastic. We've actually manufactured enough plastic to last us several hundred years um, before we'd even look at um, potentially having reduced it down to something that uh, is no longer usable or viable in the market. So that's uh, those, those are our three three major areas about everything recycling. You know, we're, we're built for the community, allowing people to connect together and work together and support each other. Um, we provide many tools um, in that avenue, uh, everything from a um, you know, from from a workspace to, to to mentorship to actually getting in and, and setting yourself up in in the um, sector. And then we're driving education, which is driving attitude, driving change. Um, we see. We see this kind of consumer change is, is a generational change. We all know um, it's been discussed through the few of the talks on here as well. We all know the baby boomers are quite set in their ways. You've got the Gen Xs that sort of want to change. Uh, you've got the millennials and I'm not sure where they think they sit. They're sort of floating left and right all the time. And then we've got, you know, we've got the Gen Ys and the up and coming, which I think um, other ones will probably drive the big change when it comes to our sustainability in the circular economy. So we figure if we can get into their heads now while they're still in school and change their attitudes in five to 10 years as they leave school, they're going to have those attitudes built in to themselves as opposed to us trying to now change attitudes we won't need to. It'll just, it would have changed by itself organically. So those, uh, yeah, that's sort of everything recycling in a nutshell. And uh, that's what we're trying to drive and what we're trying to change. Um, and the more people we can get involved and support uh, and build this up, the, uh, the quicker it'll happen. Yeah. Um, I think that is such an uh, important thing to reinforce, I guess, is, is the, the fact that recycled plastic is actually a fantastic resource. I mean, so many people are trying to go zero plastic, but there is so much plastic already out there in the world that it's a huge resource to be able to reuse that. And you're actually doing better for the environment by reusing that plastic than switching to other materials that are often higher impact. Like for example, Susan Mizrahi at Australia Post yesterday said that their 80% recycled plastic bags, parcels, are significantly better for the environment or lower impact than their cardboard boxes. Yep. So that's, that's an important thing to, um, that an important message that we need to, I think, get 
out amongst people who are interested in the environment to make sure that recycled plastic is on their list. Um, it's also amazing that you are looking at the upstream and the downstream, basically, that, that you are participating in both the collection of that uh, waste and turning it into new products. Absolutely. And yeah, like I said, we, we look very much look at this as a resource. Plastic is a really strong resource. It's a commodity. Um, it, it can be traded and it is being traded. Um, there's actually quite a lot. Uh, there's a significant chain. Um, as much as China did knock back uh, taking one of our plastic, um, that process did actually include them taking our waste plastic, uh, turning it into uh, what we call a regrind uh, palletized plastic and selling it back to our manufacturers over here. So that, that process is going on. Um, it's just not on a large enough scale. And obviously the logistics involved with sending plastic overseas and bringing it back again, obviously has a massive carbon uh, transport footprint attached to it, which gets to the point where it starts to um, negate any efforts of actually reusing it in the first place. Mm -hmm. It is. You've got to change those attitudes and, and, and get the markets to, uh, to be more accepting, or more accepting of uh, reusing plastic. Can you share just a little bit about how you fell into this space? You haven't always been working in recycled plastic. So, so what inspired you to have, start having those conversations in the first place that led to Rethink? Um, yeah, for sure. It's, um, look, you know, I've, I, I stepped away from what I was doing two years ago um, just to start uh, something small, uh, just to fill a market hole that I'd picked up. Um, I'm an, I'm an ex-builder. I've, I've spent a lot of time um, flipping properties. And um, so I've worked in that industry with a lot of um, different materials, um, a lot of different people, a lot of different skills. Um, and, you know, look at what scared me most about that industry is the amount of waste that comes out of that industry is just exorbitant. Um, you know, the, the amount of stuff that goes to landfill makes me cry, um, especially because you look at it, um, a lot of the materials that do get thrown away can be can be reused and some of them are still brand new products. They just happen to be slightly the wrong size or they're literally just an offcut. Um, it, it all goes to landfill demolition stuff demolition properties is a really big uh, a really big issue there um, the amount of waste that comes out there's no separation of any products or any materials that literally is just picked up by a backhoe and dumped into a skip and taken straight to landfill and some of the resources in those things uh, is is just huge the amount of um, aged old hardwood timber the amount of copper in all of the wiring there's some really good uh, all the plastics uh, involved in all that stuff can all be recycled and reused it's just that there's a lot of money in tipping, there's a lot of money in demolition, and there's, um, you know, too much money in paying people to uh, actually get in and separate all of that out. So that sort of drove me down to, to want to pull away from that, um, that industry itself. But I saw a, um, a market hole and I wanted to produce a product um, to replace composite stone uh, in the benchtop industry. Now, a couple of years ago, there was um, a bit of a hoo-ha made about um, a lung condition called silicosis which is, uh, look, if I had to compare it to something, I guess it goes down the lines of the asbestos. Um, you know, it's, it's, based, it's based off sort of microfragments getting into the lung in the respiratory system. And in some people actually causes an adverse reaction, um, which uh, I believe can, uh, can become terminal over time. So off the back of that, because um, the government and the media really jumped onto that for a while. So um, we watched the trends change from uh, the composite stones being used um, in residential and commercial um, uh, building to everyone's moving back towards more of your painted, your laminates, your solid timbers um, and all your natural stones. 
Um, so the whole market uh, has pretty much shifted away from these composite stones. And they're a fantastic product. They're a cheap product. They're a good looking product. Um, but unfortunately, they had that, um, they ended up with that stigma. So I wanted to see if I could come up and produce um, a new composite stone that tackled the silicosis, but was also made from recycled materials and could also seriously reduce um, the carbon emissions that were put out through the common processes of these common stones and as well as uh, concrete, which is, you know, great product, but it's also a bad product. Um, so yeah, so we started on this journey and we sat down and we did some uh, experimentation with some recycled glass, um, which worked out really well. And we added in a few other components that had some, some great uh, aspects to deliver to the mix, including carbon redu reduction, as well as increased permeability in, in, the, in the materials themselves, which is fantastic. And then we looked into um, uh, creating uh, an internal um, formwork structure or reinforcement structure that I really wanted to make it out of recycled plastic. And this is where this journey sort of really began for me, um, because I just had the attitude that, well, hey, look, we've got a massive plastic problem. There's plastic everywhere we look. Apparently, there's warehouses full of plastic. Um, I'll go and get some plastic. So once I went to try and get some plastic, I actually couldn't find plastic. I couldn't get plastic anywhere. I certainly couldn't get any processed plastic. I mean, sure enough, I could collect my own stuff, but... I didn't have any machines um, that I could process that plastic with and, and start to produce the product I was looking at trying to develop. So I reached out um, to a couple of local um, universities, a couple of other um, companies around and pretty much didn't get any help at all. If I got any response, it was, it was very much along the lines of, oh, sorry, we don't really do that kind of thing. Um, so that sort of left me to continue my searching and I came across um, a global initiative called Precious Plastic who some of you may or may not have come across. Um, it was a, it's a great initiative, started about five, six years ago over in Norway by a guy, a guy called um, Dave Hackens. And basically he had the same ideas of just changing attitudes towards plastic and he wanted to empower people to be able to process uh, their own plastic waste and manufacture it into new products. So he developed this whole system, he developed all of these machines, he'd made the whole lot open source, put it all online for everyone just to grab it, use it and take it. And um, I've come across these guys, they had a set of machines that were supposedly uh, relatively easy to make, relatively cheap to make. And I thought, well, because my product's not proven yet, I thought, well, at a low cost option, I can, I can get in, I can make these machines and we can potentially, um, you know, start to develop our own product line. And that turned out to be a journey that took quite a long time uh, to actually come together. Uh, obviously, we had a whole heap of um, issues with the COVID pandemic coming along, which shut down a whole lot of supply lines, made these machines extremely hard to get the parts for. So uh, a project that probably should have only taken a couple of months ended up taking nearly 12 months um, to develop these machines. And through that network is how I actually came across all of these other companies out there that were trying to actually do something similar. Um, and all of this machinery and process, there was not a lot of support for it. There was no companies out there that you could actually go to and get them to help you to do this. Uh, and there's certainly no one had any of these capabilities of these machines uh, to do on a smaller level without going to a major manufacturer that wanted to, you to either buy two tons worth of materials or, or, or make a purchase order for a million units of whatever you wanted to develop. So from, from that point of view, you know, all I wanted, wanted to do was prototype things. So it was, yeah, it was def deflating to say the least. Um, so we sort of, I sort of thought, right, I can do this. Um, so we got in and we developed our own machines and our processes. Um, and we quickly discovered towards the end of it um, that we'd spent an absolute fortune uh, making these machines. 
and we still did not have our prototype uh, developed and we also still could not get plastic. So I had machines to process, to grind up plastic and I had a machine to melt plastic and extrude it into the product I was trying to make, but I could not find enough plastic. It was literally trying to, you know, get friends to, you know, keep their bottles and keep their plastic containers or, you know, get the family involved. And, and that was not gonna, as much as it solved the short-term problem, it wasn't gonna solve um, the larger problem of a, of a plastic supply which is sort of just growing and growing. And as we started talking to the smaller community uh, members around, uh, around us, uh, we discovered, yes, they had similar issues. So we all got together and um, sort of formed that, that, that co-op um, and joined up with Lids for Kids. And now we're in that position where we've got uh, almost an unlimited supply of plastic coming in through that network. Um, we've gone and developed uh, all of the machines and taken them from this open source plan and, and, and step them up to an Australian safety standard and electrically certified standard. Um, and we've also been able to reduce the cost by around 50% of um, what we originally manufactured the one uh, our, our, our machines for. So it's given um, more businesses the opportunity to get into this um, at a level that's affordable. Um, you know, if you're as a small startup business, Typically, these machines, if you're building yourselves for the full set, you'd be looking at spending $50,000 and then you were still left with, you know, uh, a whole system to, to set up, set yourself up, work through, do a lot of testing and processing. So we thought we'd sit down and um, develop this whole support network, um, build up all the documentations around it, build up all the machinery, build up the systems, be able to teach, show people, anyone that wants to get involved to... Um, you know, get in this and, and get this plastic off the streets back into the economy uh, and back circulating and uh, solving a whole heap of other issues um, along the way. So that was sort of, that was the journey that took me, took me from, from there to here, which um, is, is a few directions we were unexpected to, uh, to be traveling in. But I tell you what, it's been an amazing journey. Uh, the passion that's out there in this sector is, is just brilliant. The passion of the people that want to get involved um, is brilliant. And we've just discovered through starting this cooperative that we've also given it uh, an opportunity to a lot of people that want to get in and make a change. They want to get in and help out, but, but they can't. So they've got currently running businesses that potentially don't have the scope or the room or the need to set up these facilities, but at the same time, they would like to be involved or have access uh, to those processes. And there's a heap of people out there that just want to help and they can't. You know, a lot of people sit down and go, oh, look, I'm just one person. What can I do? Uh, you know, and as much as just changing a few things at home does make a big difference, uh, but we've also given, uh, you know, a, an opportunity for people to get, you know, hands-on involved uh, as well as making a big change because uh, yeah, we just see that, you know, the more, the bigger the community grows, the more people get involved, uh, the bigger the changes we can make, the faster we're going to be able to change attitudes and redesign and redevelop the whole market. Yeah, it's awesome that you're not only enabling businesses who want to start up in this space, who want to create a recycled content product, but you're also providing the education to bring more people into that pipeline, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the kids, just from the, oh, the little bit of um, talking out there, the kids just love it. There's a few uh, within the Precious Plastic um, uh, community, there's a few schools have embraced, uh, embraced their systems and, um, you know, they post a lot on their social media and they're really actively involved. And the kids are so excited, especially when you bring in an empty Coke bottle and you grind it up into little pieces and then you stick it into another little machine and then you can melt that plastic down and, 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 produce uh, a small little, whether it be a keychain or whether it just be some token uh, that you can go, hey, 
I just made this. How awesome. This used to be a Coke bottle and now it's a keychain. Not that we're a big advocate for pro promoting those products, but it's more about teaching uh, teaching that process and the energy the kids are bringing to it. It's just, uh, you know, really exciting. So we just want to be able to get more and more people involved and, and, and allow these communities to grow um, at an affordable level as opposed to having to really battle against, uh, you know, an industry that's not supported. Definitely. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the circular economy generally, but first, I think um, it'd be good to address Mar uh, Marcus's question, um, asking how do the small businesses in your co-op access the expertise they need to efficiently set up and scale their businesses or raise funds? Is there a common marketplace? Cool, great question. Um, absolutely. So we ourselves um, within our group um, have quite a lot of uh, experience um, playing around within our industry. Um, obviously, we're still learning and growing ourselves, but we will supply, um, basically supply you with support and the knowledge that we've gained um, to help you grow and, and set up the facilities. We have all the, uh, the material connections, uh, the network connections, and obviously we have all the machinery that we can supply to you. Now, funding, um, obviously, that's always always a big issue. For small business, starting up is uh, an expensive uh, process, um, especially doing it alone. So um, what we tend to do, this whole project and model is built off um, funding, uh, in particular, council funding, uh, federal and state government funding, as well as um, enterprise sponsorship um, and support through those, uh, through those networks. Um, we've having some success so far in our first grant applications, which is pretty much our model application at this point in time. So basically we will sit down with you, we'll talk to discuss with you what your aims are, what your goals are. Uh, we will look at the markets you're trying to, uh, to get into, your local markets around you. And then we will help make connections um, within the areas down there to get, basically to get um, a, a group of volunteers passionate about what you wanna do and get you into that, uh, that space. And then we will help you um, pitch to councils, pitch to universities, pitch to local enterprise. We will help you um, with your grant writing processes, uh, basically just following through all of that. So we, we've built a model um, that we will roll out and that's what, so as a, as a member, you get access to all that information, all of the mentorship. Um, and we've got, you know, we've got, uh, you know, a couple of double PhD engineers, uh, engineers in the group that really focus on sustainability and plastics. We've got another PhD lady who's very focused on plastics as well. Um, and plus, we've just got all of the guys in the, the small precious plastic community that have um, been experimenting for the last two, three years just with their own processes and products, which uh, is just that knowledge base that we can we can draw on and then share uh, again with um, within the cooperative. Uh, to address the last part of that, is there a common marketplace? So this is the absolute big kicker because there is no huge market for recycled plastic at the moment and that's our biggest challenge um, and then it's part of our mantra is to we are building the market from scratch. So as you know, when you say in, in an overall sense, is there a market? Absolutely. There is plastic in pretty much every single piece of item that you interact with every day all day so there's a massive market there it's um it's about now changing the way we look at the products and the way we manufacture the products and diverting um, manufacture away from virgin plastic and looking at more viable solutions using recycled plastic so if we can set up a, a number of these microprocessing facilities throughout the nation uh, that actually gives us as a collective a very powerful uh, manufacturing position to start to look at some of these major mass produced items that are currently all made from virgin plastic and, and predominantly imported uh, from Asia. So the idea is to, to absorb that market into us, but make it and produce it from locally collected 
um, and produce plastics. So therefore, we're cleaning ourselves up. Basically, instead of paying someone else to um, you know go and collect it from another country and send it off to China, and then we go, oh well, that's a cool product. We'll buy that off you. You've got um, you know the, the logistics behind that's ridiculous. Um, I've actually got a product here. It was a promotional coffee cup that was given to me and it was this fantastic spiel about um, how this cup's been made from recycled coffee cup lids and the journeys on there it's this close the loop um, whole mantra behind it and then when I got down to reading it it was um, it was really a little bewildering to the point where um, I tracked where the plastic had gone to produce this um, this coffee cup and it started its life in China where it was manufactured into all the little white um, takeaway coffee cup lids that we use and see every day. And those, those lids were then um, bought and shipped to um, the industry over in uh, the UK where they were then shipped out to the local cafes and all the coffees were sold and we all drank our coffees and then we threw away our cups and never gave it a second thought. Those lids were then collected at some level through their uh, recycling facilities and they were all bundled back up into a nice big container and sent back to China. And China said, oh, great, thanks. You've given us our plastic back. And I have no doubt they were probably paid to take that plastic back. And they uh, thought, right, let's, um, let's grind these up and um, we'll make them into a recycled coffee cup. And um, it's a great product. Uh, the insert of the coffee cup has been designed by Dyson. So it, it, it's quite functional. It looks good. It works quite well. Um, the outside of the cup, um, again, looks great. It looks like it's been made from recycled plastic. It does the job. And then what happened to it? Well, a few of our local councils here down in Melbourne thought, oh, wow, that's a fantastic product. So they then purchased those coffee cups who, from China, who then imported them into Australia and distributed them uh, within the local communities. So on uh, the ideals of that, fantastic idea, great promotional product. But when you look at the process that this cup went through just to get back to the consumer as a recycled object, the carbon footprint that that left is 10 times what it should have been to something that could have been made locally. So that's the ideas about what we want to do. We want to start to look at what we've got in Australia. We want to clean that up and we want to remanufacture our own products. We don't need to be sending this away. We need to be cleaning up our own country first before we start, you know, importing more plastics. Uh, and, and that's the ideas behind, uh, behind that. So yes, there's a marketplace there. It's just a case of identifying exactly what products um, we're going to do, which we do have a pretty concise list, but it's all quite dependent on growing our network um, of facilities, giving us the power to, to tackle those major mass-produced markets. Now, um, David has also asked, I wonder, do 20-litre plastic drums, is the plastic that's used in those something that can also be recycled through your process? Um, I believe so. I have um, a gentleman has come to us with those um, or has talked to us about coming with those containers. Um, I haven't looked into them closely. Um, depending on what types of plastic they are, I'm unfamiliar with the particular type, but as long as they're a stamped, uh, a stamped plastic and um, they're numbered, there is absolutely no reason they can't be recycled. And those particular drums are a pretty major issue. If you go to most council um, recycling centres or even the tips, um, you will find a huge cage just full of those empty containers. So I think some of them do get reused and refilled depending on what um, what product is is in them. But um, yeah, typically most plastics can be recycled at some level. Awesome. Um, now I wanted to touch, I guess, a little bit more broadly. You've already, um, I think, given us a very good illustration of what circular economy is, that it's about capturing those recyclable components on one side, being able to then 
recycle them and remanufacture them locally and put them into new products without having to go to China and back and all of that. Um, and, and also it's about, I guess, creating products that can be broken down into those component parts that can go into the process, into remanufacturing. Um, so what do you think is needed aside from Rethink Recycling Co-op, obviously? Um, what are the other sort of gaps and opportunities in the marketplace that need to be addressed that are opportunities, I guess, for businesses to innovate? Um, yeah, look, that's uh, it's a question that's uh, relatively individualized as well as, uh, you know, all encompassing. Um, you know, obviously the basis of a circular economy is that we, you want to keep um, that particular material or product within, uh, within the system. So ideally nothing ever gets thrown away. We just continually either reuse it or remanufacture it uh, back into that um, circular system. Um, there's, you know, the, the, the big things that we've really um, isolated what needs to change. Uh, I mean, from, from a, a person, personal point of view, attitude um, is, is a really big issue. Um, you know, people still see plastic as waste. People see things made from recycled plastic as, as, as potentially dirty. It's not as clean as something made from a virgin plastic. Um, Vizzy had an amazing um, example recently in a, a seminar I was um, uh, watching that um, they took their products, because Vizzy currently take most of Melbourne's recycling, but it's only about 20% of actually what gets, um, gets dropped off. Um, so they're doing great stuff, but they did an experiment uh, where they took a carton of um, liquid. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was. Let's say it was orange juice. Um, identical product, um, identical packaging, except one packaging was their um, virgin packaging. The other packaging was their recycled packaging. And you could see the difference in the two packagings just because recycled material isn't as pure white. It does always have a little bit of imperfection, imperfections in it or some different, you know, odd colours or something like that. It's always slightly a bit different. But anyway, it was still a sanitary product and it contained the exact same item. At the end of the week, the product that was left on the shelf was the product in the recycled container. So the virgin product was gone. The recycled product was still there, even though it was still the same contents. So that we see is a major attitude um, problem in, in, in making people accept and even get to the point where they're blase and they don't even look at it. So it's not like I'm noticing the differences. It's just is. Um, which could be as much as getting manufacturers on board to actually just stop producing virgin packaging and start using recycled packaging. Um, but, you know, overall, it, it's an attitude shift, that, which is what part of what we're trying to drive that change into doing, um, as well as obviously pushing that through the school system is going to tackle that a lot earlier before it becomes an issue. Um, so that's probably the biggest, the biggest thing. The next biggest thing um, is single-use plastic. We've got to get rid of single-use plastic and we've got to reduce it to a point where it's only used where necessary. Again, some of this single-use stuff we have is fantastic and it is necessary and it does its job. Um, single-use plastics, a lot of them can't be recycled, um, which again, if you're going to use single-use plastic, make it so it can be recycled. Which brings me to the second problem. We make a lot of unlabeled plastic. If the plastic isn't numbered and labeled, we don't know what it is, we can't risk recycling it because if you mix the wrong products together it doesn't work it contaminates and it can no longer be recycled so those are probably two of the major areas is is reducing single-use plastic reducing single-use excessive use of plastic um, changing attitudes and making sure the plastic we make is recyclable there's a heap of plastic out there that one is not numbered two it can't be recycled they're composites there's so much junk mixed in with the plastic 
that's it. It has no choice but to go to landfill. So that's uh, you know those are probably two areas um, that need community involvement to change. Um, it'd be great to increase our um, manufacturing, our national manufacturing ability for plastics. We really kind of killed that. Um, you know, I mean, look, don't have any issues with China and the global economy and the way it functions. But the fact is that we've all just gone, ah, oh, no, look, it's too hard, it's too expensive. They'll do it for us. Has really left us in a situation where we no longer have the ability to deal with our own problems, i.e., being plastic waste. We just can't. We just cannot deal with it. Hence the reason we send it off seas. And obviously there was a lot of countries doing the same thing and China said, whoa, hang on a second, we're full, we can't take any more. So that's again, and, and that's probably gonna be driven on, on a governmental level. Um, it's also big, big business needs to get behind that. Um, you know, it's good to see companies like your Coca-Colas and that are now really using um, a lot of recycled packaging, uh, a lot of recycled plastics in their um, bottles and stuff, which is great. So the attitudes and the trends, they are sort of happening. They're probably just not happening big enough and fast enough. Um, and then on top of that, you know, just the government could be doing a lot more. They could be um, promoting promoting this. They could be funding it. They could doing be giving it a heap more support. They could be doing marketing campaigns. Again, we've all seen what a good, strong marketing campaign can do, and it can change attitudes overnight. You know, we killed single-use plastic bags almost within weeks of it being made, you know, a mandate that we're just not doing it anymore. I just saw recently um, from the, the next month, also, South Australia is banning all single-use plastic 100%. So the attitudes are out there. Things are, things are moving. Um, you know, it's good, but I think we could be making a bigger difference, uh, especially if the government really got behind it and pushed it, uh, especially, in a, um, you know, sort of in your face in a marketing point of view. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point that that role of um, government in, in marketing, because obviously, you know, we had Nick on this morning talking about all of the money and all the grants, but they're often, you know, here's a two week window <laughs> that they're actually available and oh, sorry, you missed it. Um, so it's great for anyone who's got an idea and got it all ready to go waiting for a window to open. But that's not how industry works. That's not about, um, you know, how you actually create systems change. They're, they're not looking at, you know, what are the root causes? What are the sort of um, the crux of, of these problems that we can tackle to allow businesses to bring their creativity and their innovation into this space? So, Yeah, absolutely. And the power the government does actually have uh, in driving these agendas, um, you know, is huge because... The, uh, the, the general population is quite influential and um, we've seen the trends of, of just last year showed us what a big hard push from a governing body can actually change the way we live and the way we operate. Um, so without them really embracing it and just giving money to people uh, isn't necessarily going to fix the problem. Um, and those grants are notoriously hard to get, uh, get hold of, which I'm sure every small business owner probably knows. Um, you know, it would be great to uh, just to see that level of support step, step up on a national scale, which I think would really help change things a lot faster. But until that happens, uh, all we can do is sit back and, you know, try and drive it as much as we can at home. Definitely. And it's awesome that you're helping with some of that grant, like writing and everything. And also yeah. this afternoon, we've got um, Millie, an accountant, to talk about the work that they do with a lot of entrepreneurs in, in not only those specific grants, but also broader R&D tax incentives and being able to access those. So yep. that's good. Um, now I'm gonna come back to Caitlin's question in just one second, because first I'm gonna just ask you for your number one piece of advice for a small business looking to tap into the circular economy market and opportunities this year. 
Okay. Um, hard question to pin down one, one piece of advice. Um, and it's probably, uh, it's probably just generally the trend of what's coming out of this seminar uh, is honestly just embrace it. If, if, if you're a business, um, you know, it is the buzz thing at the moment you want to be seen to be implementing sustainable practices you want to be seen to be current you know to be involved uh, in the markets to be pushing an agenda that promotes your product but from a sustainable point of view and look your product doesn't necessarily need to be sustainable but the way you are your attitudes um, what's driving you how you operate your business can absolutely uh, be the difference you know, just quickly, for example, as much as my products are a sustainable product, I've dedicated my, my facility to running 100% off um, solar renewable energy. We put in a system that was twice the size of what we needed. So we've got a constant flow of renewable energy going back into the grid. Uh, we plumbed our entire facility into the rainwater system. So we're not necessarily drawing off uh, council water uh, and stuff. Obviously, we drive ourselves to reduce our waste um, as much as possible. So just from those things, um, you know, the, the changes. And even if our product wasn't uh, a sustainable product, our businesses, our practice and our process is, you know, uh, who we bank with, um, you know, we, we, got, we back check all of that, where we buy our suppliers, who our suppliers are. We make sure all of these people have the same attitudes that we have. And honestly, if they don't, we don't use them. Even if it's a little bit sometimes spotting ourselves, if you don't have the right principles in your own business practice, we're not going to want to involve you in our business practice. So that's, and that's the one thing I would say, just embrace it, do it. You need to be showing to be growing yourself on a sustainable level and being involved actively in that building that circular economy. That's what the government wants to see. It's what the councils want to see. And it's what consumers want to see. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, well said. Um, so, Caitlin's question links into my final question, which is obviously that we want to um, continue to connect with Rethink Recycling. So how can people either follow or even get involved with Rethink? Cool. Well, we have um, our socials are obviously uh, up and running. Uh, so we're on Facebook and Inst Instagram currently at the moment. Um, so that is just literally rethinkrecycling.coop um, and you will pick up both of Instagram and Facebook. Through Facebook, you can get directly in touch with us. You can also get directly uh, a direct link into our um, membership form, which will give you the option to become a member of Rethinks Recycling, get involved in our projects. Um, you can get involved at, uh, at any level um, from a volunteer all the way up to a, a corporate sponsor. And that will allow you to tap into our network of um, businesses uh, that are all working together. Uh, our website is currently under, under construction, but you can most certainly still go there and all of the contact information uh, is there and you can reach out uh, to any of us anytime and we can uh, run you through exactly what we're doing and at what level you can get involved. We also um, offer a, you know, a kicker for that um, if you haven't got the time to physically get involved uh, with us. We offer a carbon offset uh, program through our um, cooperative as well. So you can, um, you know, you're, you're, everyone's busy, not necessarily able to take the time to redirect their business through a sustainable path. Um, so we also like to op offer that option and get out there and, and, and plant trees. Basically, the only way to a carbon offset is to plant trees and we don't all have that much time to plant that many trees. So um, I think the lady before mentioned that, you know, we all should be planting 150 trees uh, per person in our lifetime. Well, we can absolutely offer that and we can potentially get those trees planted within a year for you. So. That's, uh, that's one way you can get involved without actually physically having to change anything you're doing as well. So, so yeah, that's Thank where you. we're at. 
<laughs> Too good. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. And thank you for everything that you're doing, filling these gaps out there in the circular economy. Um, and I hope everyone will yeah, check out those, those links. And um, I'll, I'll post all of those links to the socials into the Facebook group. And yeah, thanks so much for your time. Um, we've got lunch now and we'll be back at one o'clock if anyone wants to come back for the next session, which is John Purcell. So. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for the time. Bye. Bye.